And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It's hump day, of course. Wednesday being the day. And, and as we get ready to wrap up this week, next week is really the last full week of, of the year in terms of trading. Uh, get into Christmas, the end of the year, pre-New Year's. Ain't nobody going to be round, as they say. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be pretty desolate here uh, starting next week in the markets. Uh, but yesterday, of course, CPI came out. And now the interesting thing about CPI yesterday is it came in right on the screws. Um, it was expected that we have a 0.1% increase in CPI. Uh, at the headline, the core was going to be up 0.3, exactly the way the number came in yesterday. Initially, the market wasn't quite sure what to do with it. By the end of the day, kind of figured it out that, hey, this was good for the Fed um, in terms of keeping them at bay of not hiking rates because um, it wasn't too hot or too cold, right? It just, it, there's nothing in that report yesterday that suggested that there's a resurgence of inflation going on. And again, as we've talked about before, the Fed doesn't want deflation, right? They don't want a negative print in CPI, right? They, they really want that 0 0.1, 0.2% increase because if you take 0.1 or 0.2, right, for the entire year, 0.2 in January, February, March, April, May, June, that's 2.4% growth rate in inflation. That's what they want. They want around that 2% number is what they're looking for. So they want goods to be 2.4% higher every year, right? Because if you get that, economic growth should be around two, two and a half percent a year. That means people are working, your, your, your employment stays good, your wage growth is okay, um, you know, and the economy functions, right? You don't want deflation, which is basically a lot of bad stuff happening, right? So they want inflation, they, it's a, a lot of mistake here that people want deflation, that's not really the case at all. Okay, um, so the number yesterday, right in line with Scrooge, take a look at that number, Basically, inflation is, is just kind of tacking along here. We're, we're bringing inflation down at 3%, trying to get below that number. Uh, if we keep going at this current rate, 0.1 uh, into next year, 0.1.2, we will be below uh, 3% in a couple more months. And so that's going to get you that two handle, which is also going to suggest that yields need to come down more, right? And so yields currently at 4.2%-ish right now. Um, those need to be below four. Um, those need to be in the threes at some point to, to align interest rates with inflation because those are all economically correlated with each other because that's the way the economy works. So again, the, 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 the market kind of started out a little bit off balance yesterday morning when that number first came in. But by the end of the day, markets rallied nicely because, well, they figured out, hey, this is good for the Fed. You're going to keep the Fed on hold. Well, we'll find out today... Um, you know what that is actually going to look like because this afternoon at two o'clock, uh, Jerome Powell will come out with the latest uh, FOMC announcement. And again, no, there is zero expectation of a rate hike today. So if the Fed really wanted to shock the markets, they could hike rates. Don't think they will. So no rate hike today. The question, as we talked a little bit about yesterday, is what will the Fed say? Right. This is going to be. The, it's going to be all about the commentary. Do they start to put out a tone that says, we're done hiking rates? 
we have reached the neutral rate, we are restrictive enough, whatever the terminology is, is that going to be the language that we hear this afternoon? Or do we hear language that, hey, we're not done with this inflation fight yet, we could still hike rates if necessary, uh, a more hawkish stance towards the potential of needing to hike rates further. This idea of higher for longer gets forcefully re-implemented today. That could weigh on markets <clears throat> because markets are expecting right now rate cuts, headline on CNBC, as I'm saying this, headline on CNBC right now, are rate cuts on the horizon, right? They're wanting rate cuts. The market wants these rate cuts sooner rather than later. Why? Because rate cuts lead to better economic, uh, you know, better economic activity, brings your mortgage rate down, also brings stock prices up. People are starting to do this. And, and it's interesting because I wrote an article um, on Tuesday talking about this very same thing, that, you know, we have the market, the Federal Reserve has been training investors now. We talked about it yesterday. The Federal Reserve has been training investors for the last 13 years. They cut rates to QE, stock prices go up. So again, investors front-running the markets so far, trying to get ahead of that rate cut because they don't want to mess out on the bottom. We'll see what happens this afternoon, um, but here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Markets, uh, again, said like I said, markets rallied yesterday. You know, importantly, markets are making new highs for this year, right? That's great. Still not making new highs for the market period. So, I mean, we're still going back two years, still don't have record highs, but we're certainly getting there. I mean, we're very close to, to actually pinching a, rec a record high here. It's going to take about another, you know, 150 points on the S&P, certainly possible. If the Fed came out today and cut rates, we'd have a 150-point day in the market. We'd be at new highs. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, we're, you know, we're still, you know, trying to recover all this that we lost during 2022, trying to get that back. It's been a very long road to get there, but we're slowly getting there. Here's the thing I wanted to point out to you, though, this morning is that I can't overemphasize this issue of the markets being very overbought right now. And, you know, this is just something that happens repeatedly over time. And we see this often as, you know, I got an email yesterday, great, great comment. It's, it's, this market is just, nothing's going to stop this market. It's unstoppable. And it certainly feels that way at times. In fact, uh, back in June, July, I wrote an article talking about how to trade an unstoppable bull market because that's the way it felt back then. Markets had gotten very overbought at that point on multiple levels. And again, it took a bit of time. The markets could, it stayed overbought for a, a lot longer period than you thought, than logically, logically you think it would, but eventually it gave way to that overbought condition. And again, once again, here we are, the markets are, are really remaining very overbought here, very elevated, and, and seems to be this kind of unstoppable bull markets. Nothing's gonna bring it down. Now again, you know, we're not talking about a major correction here, but markets have to breathe, right? You've gotta get, this some type of, of relaxation in the, in, in the markets at a point in time uh, to do that. But again, we just have to look at the market itself and just go back in time. Every time the market has, has been as overbought as it is now, right? You've had an eventual correction. Sometimes it comes sooner. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, like at the peak of the market in January of 2022. Took a little bit longer to get there. But every time that you get there, you're going to have at least some type of relaxation. Now, in a bull market, those relaxations are smaller than they are during a bear market. So when markets get overbought in a bear market, the drawdowns are larger. 
In a bull market, they're not as deep. You get, you know, three to five percent versus five to ten percent in a bull market. But again, the point is that as investors, it's very tempting right now to go jump into the markets because like there's nothing gonna stop the markets. I'm missing out. I gotta get in. I get it. But this is where the markets really kind of lure you in to, to doing the wrong thing. So you, you know, at this point, if you're not in the market, you want to be in. I would just be patient here. Just let the markets come back to you a bit. They'll do that. You'll have an opportunity to put that money to work at a little bit better price. We're holding a little bit of extra cash just for that reason, right? So we have exposure to the markets. They're doing fine. But if we could get a little bit of a pullback, there's some things that we would like to buy at a little bit better price. And it really doesn't matter kind of what you look at right now. Everything is pretty much overbought on one metric or another, whether it's technology stocks, the, the you know, kind of the, uh, you know, energy stocks, whatever they are. You know, if you look at a lot of a lot of different positions, they're overbought. So just, you know, those those really popular stocks that, that people are wanting to get into, the things you hear about on CNBC, they're overbought, give them a chance to come back to you, find that entry point that gives you a little bit better risk reward on those entries. Okay, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff, who's joining this morning. Lots of stuff to get into uh, this morning with him. So don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. <laughs> Good morning, Danny. How are you, sir? Hey, doing great. How about you? Awesome. Awesome. It's, uh, of course, Wednesday, getting ready to wrap up uh, for the year. Can't believe it's almost over. Your kids ready for Christmas? They, they excited about Santa Claus? Oh, I'm sure. Do y'all have Shelf on the Elf? Elf on the Shelf? Elf on the Shelf. Shelf on the Elf. Uh, whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Like This is one thing that I tell people often. If you have new children, like do not get, you know... Suckered into this deal. Well, no, I just I just see lots of videos. People are getting very creative about the elf. Oh, so, what you know, I, I guess do we, do we have to? Exp- I guess do, do, I guess we need to explain this. Do do you do you know what elf on the shelf is? I do, and okay. once you explain it, I've got a funny story to tell you. about. Oh, oh I have plenty. Yeah, I have yeah. Tw- eighteen years of stories with <laughs> elf on the shelf. So, the elf on the shelf. If you don't know, and you can go to a Hallmark store, you can go to you know Walmart. Christmas, Walmart, whatever. And there's a specific elf. It's a little red elf, and and and, and families do it differently. So, just I'm going to tell you the way that we did it. But the, the kind of the rules revolve around this. But the, the the thing is, you put the the elf on the shelf, and he's watching your kids, and the kids can't touch the elf. If they touch the elf. Santa Claus isn't coming, basically. So it's, it's, a, it's a very bad thing. Don't touch the elf. But the elf has to move every night. So every day when the kids get up, the elf's going to be in a different place. And the people are getting very creative. They've got the elf moving around on camera at night. You know, I'm not, in this case, kids are listening. So, you know, the elf moves around. But anyway, it, it's, gotten, it's getting a little out of hand. <laughs> but it's a great way to keep the kids in line, you know, for Christmas. And they think they're being watched. And... You know, there was a few times that we oh, would, they're being watched. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few times that we were that. So I'll, I'll give this one story. Um, so we were having some, and not in our, our current house, but in a couple of houses ago that we had, um, we were having some construction done on the house, and the we had I'd taken the elf and 
I had set him on top of the chandelier in the kitchen now nobody ever turned the chandelier on right it just it was it, who uses a dining why do houses have dining rooms i have no idea why do kitchens have chandeliers I, well this was in the, the dining room anyway the the point is is that nobody ever uses this room nobody ever goes in there so i put it on top of the chandelier in, in the dining room and didn't think anything about it well apparently about mid-afternoon my daughter my youngest daughter at the time she calls my wife at work and is hysterical, <laughs> screaming, crying, just blabbering stuff. And she's like, calm down. Tell me what's going on. And she goes, the elf is dying. And uh, she's like, what happened? Is like his leg fell off. <laughs> so apparently what had happened is that one of the construction workers turned on the chandelier in the dining room yeah. and the light bulb had touched the elf's leg and melted it off the elf and the elf fell off the chandelier the leg is still attached to the light bulb oh my goodness so this is trauma so we had to get another elf and then come up with this whole story about how santa came and and got the elf and took him back to the north pole to, to fix him back up and so we actually restitched the leg back on to the elf and put a cast on him and that's how he came back into the family after the fact man that is devotion but, but to the today myth. but to to this day yeah our kids will still talk about that because it was so traumatic <laughs> <laughs> parents yeah, I, are really devoted to this thing oh yeah, yeah last remember the tornadoes last week in yeah, tennessee yeah. my son-in-law and daughter in the closet hunkered down the kids have the helmet on but during that event, somehow the elf moved around the house. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you have to. So, Danny, you, you moving the elf? Well, I just to get confirmation, the kids aren't listening right now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm serious. I was like, wait a second. We may have to, to pivot here on this conversation. Yeah. Um, no, it, this is the worst thing ever. I've got buddies who have younger children, and I see that they're you know posting things, and they, they're very ambitious with the things that they do. And I'm like, man. This is the worst thing you've ever done. Oh, this is great. No, I'm telling you, wait till they get older. You know, we've been doing this for, for a while now. Our kids are, you yeah. know, they're not old, but they're not extremely young either. Right. And, um, but they're, they're very, no they notice, you know, oh, the elf moved. Yep. Probably had to go talk to Santa. <laughs> Remember what you did yesterday. Um, uh, but, I think it's got some very good benefits to it. Well, but, what a but, genius idea this guy came up with. I mean, there's over like 23 million elves floating around out there. And now you can, you know, they have accessories for them. You can put them in skis. You can put them on Santa's sleigh. You can do all these different mm -hmm. things, you know, and, and make these these big, uh, <laughs> you know, scenes that they do. I mean, it, it's right, and, and, and it's crazy. The, the reason I the reason I brought this up is because it's that time of the year, mm -hmm. right? And you're absolutely right. Twenty three over twenty three million of these elves have been sold since this was this idea. What was a genius idea! On, what a genius idea! And we had talked about, on Tuesday, the American dream, mm. right? And this whole idea that, you know, capitalism is dead, the American dream is dead, it's out of reach, it's, you know, you can't do it, but all you got to do, and again, you come up with an idea. And again, genius idea. Parents are always looking for some way to keep their kids in line, you know, for Christmas, you know, make them behave, you know, those type of things. Great idea. Guy has made a fortune off of this. Yeah. And, you know, this and this is my whole point when so before you go out to say the American dream is dead. And we, there's a Wall Street Journal out, article out this morning I wanted to discuss with Danny. 
which is the American dream costs far more than most people will ever earn over their lifetime. That is correct. If you're working a nine-to-five job, you will probably have a hard time reaching the American dream, right? The American dream is for people that reach out and take that risk to build something, to create, to do something that creates wealth. Working a nine-to-five is fine. There's nothing. I am not poo-pooing the idea of being a nine-to-five employee because we've got to have them, right? You can't have capitalism without employees. You can't have a guy that creates this idea of elf on the shelf without somebody to produce the elves, right? So, you know, you've got to you've got to have both sides of the coin. So there's certainly nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, this idea of the American dream that capitalism is dead, it's unattainable, is just refuted day after day after day after day by people that start some business. And again, you see it on Etsy and on TikTok and wherever else somebody starts a YouTube channel and, you know, <laughs> you know, does stuff like that, becomes an influencer and makes money. That's capitalism, right? They did. They had a talent. They put it to work. They made money. And, and so the point is that anybody can do it. it. You know, capitalism is not restrained to a few. Capitalism is available for everybody, as we talked about on Tuesday, is that you just have to be willing to take the risk. Well, but, it is, I, but it's tough outside of that. And there, there's nothing wrong with a nine-to-five job. I think that that's ah, what, absolutely. you know, obviously that's what most Gotta people have are working. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem with this whole narrative is that the goalpost has been moved. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the American dream has changed over the years. It used to be that, you know, you wanted to provide for your family. You wanted a home, uh, you know, a reasonable home. You wanted to be a, have a car that can get you from point A to point B. And I blame social media for this is that, you know, you just mentioned it, the influencers, all yeah. these people that go out and rent these fancy, you know, cars and yachts and all the things that they do for an hour. And then they turn around and tell all their followers what they're doing. I think that most people have unreasonable expectations of what that actual American dream used to be is not the same as what well, it is today. Well, the, the, but this is the problem. It's something we discussed is that the American dream is not buying a house, right? Putting yourself into 30 year mortgage debt to buy a house is not the American dream. But that's what dream. most people think it is. That's what, that's what, that's what the national association of realtors. Have you seen the commercials oh, yeah. on television? Got to buy a house, right? Well, and every and, president for the last 20, 30 years is to the Absolute, exact same thing. Absolutely. Alan Greenspan, we got to have adjustable rate mortgages so that we can get more people into homes. You know, that's that's where we've confused this idea about what capitalism is and what the American dream is. The American dream, as we pointed out in the article that we wrote, was people that came here from other countries or people that started with nothing. Uh, Oprah Winfrey's parents were janitors and, and they started with nothing and they built something. Right. And they and, and these are obviously outside examples that, you know, the few uh, Paul Mitchell, et cetera, that created multi-billion dollar businesses. But there's a lot of people. There's the guy on there's uh, I've told you all about the story about the guy that's around the corner from our house. He owns this little old fashioned Conoco station, right, where you still drive up. They come out, they wipe your windshields, check your oil, fill up your gas. It's full service. That doesn't exist anymore. But he still does this. He's created a whole business around that. And he, and he makes a very good living doing that. Uh, guy that owns Scott's Auto down the street from our house. Built this, it started out as a one little two bay shop. Now takes up a whole corner block. It's been very successful running one business. But that's, that's capitalism. That's the American dream. Anybody can do it, right? But we've taught people, Danny, to your point, is that we've taught people that Oh, going into debt is the American dream, right? The more debt, the more credit cards you have, the you know, buy a house you really can't afford, buy a car you can't afford to drive. That's the American dream. And that's really not the case at all. 
Well, that's the problem, right? So many people think that they're going to fake it till they make it. And unfortunately, they end up faking it the whole time because they've got this enormous amount of debt on their back that they just can't get out from. And so I think that's the struggle that many people deal with is that, you know, one, having realistic expectations, understanding, you know, how to get from point A to point B. And then also understanding that it's not done. You know, most people just see, you know, these people that have done very well, they don't see the blood, sweat and tears behind it. Mm -hmm. Right. They never saw that and all the things that, that were done prior to getting to the point where they are today. And I think that is the main point is that yeah. you got to put a lot of work in. Well, and, and some and people it, just aren't willing to do it. Right. And, and the, they, you know, it's, a, it's always interesting. It's like they'll, they'll look to a guy and they'll say, oh, there was a really great chart out yesterday. Uh, actually, I wish I would have brought it this morning. I didn't, uh, didn't know we were going to talk about this. Um, but it was a great chart because, you know, we talk about these guys that are overnight successes and it seems like they just started with nothing. And all of a sudden they're a multimillionaire literally overnight. Yeah. And it and basically it just took ten years to get there, and it shows this chart shows that the average time for success is nothing happens for nine years, and then finally around your tenth year things really start to take off. But that's where all of that hard work and, and all that foundation you built has now started to pay dividends. Yeah, I had a really good mentor years ago, and he would always tell me, "Listen, you know, every day do something productive. It's a snowball effect." Yep. Exactly right. We'll come back. We'll talk about this article a little bit more detail. I'll give you some of the stats. It's it's interesting. So, you know, uh, we'll talk about it. So don't go away. More with Dana Ratliff coming up right after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com coming up january the 27th we're having a special event it's called navigating the markets in a presidential cycle greg valier is coming to be the keynote presentation adam taggart will be there michael Leibowitz, myself will be spending the morning talking about the economy the markets presidential election cycles what to expect tickets are on sale right now early bird registration on the website if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the banner at the top. Tickets are $99. We've got very limited seating at Hotel Sinesta here in Houston. Uh, you get your early bird special now. Ticket prices will go up as we get into early January. Get your tickets now on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So, uh... I want to talk a little bit more about this article that was in the Wall Street Journal today talking about the American dream cost $3.4 million to achieve over a lifetime. And, you know, this is there, there, you know, there's some points to this, and I think it's worth, worth talking about. But it's also about your, Ameri- your American, your personal American dream is not the American dream of everybody, right? If your goal, if your, if your goal in life is to, you know, own a home, raise your family, be happy to whatever degree that is, you know, you, you want to go travel once a year, whatever it is, whatever your desired lifestyle is, and it doesn't matter what it is, that's your American dream. Your American dream, you know, when you say the American dream, the American dream isn't being a multi-billionaire, right? That's that's great if you we would all love that, right? But, you know, that's probably not realistic. But if you have a, if you, you know, if, if you can be happy, be married, have a great partnership with your with your spouse, raise happy, healthy children, have, you know, great homecomings when they come home from school or college, they bring the grandkids over. 
you know, you're not stressing to make ends meet. That's that's as good of an American dream as any, right? And there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. I was talking to a, a young kid the other day. He, he called me. He emailed me a couple of times. I said, look, just call me. Let's talk about this. Young kid just graduating high school doesn't want to go to college. He says, it's just college isn't for me. And I go, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, it's fine. I said, what are you going to do? He says, I want to go to trade school. And I will learn to weld. I want to go work on oil rigs. And I go, great. No problem with that at all. He may, he, he, he's going to learn a trade, right, that's applicable and can be done anywhere. Maybe he doesn't get to work on oil rigs. Right, could be on pipelines, could be on anything that requires welders, something we're really short of, right? And he'll make good money. Now he's never going to make, you know, a million dollars a year, right? But I have a good buddy of mine that's uh, that he's a, he's a, he's a mobile welder. I mean, basically he lives in a, a he lives in a fifth wheel, and he travels the country and he works two or three months at a time, and then he'll take off a couple months and he'll go. Hey, you know what? I think I want to go to Colorado. Um, and go skiing for the winter. And so he'll go to Colorado, take his fifth wheel, and he'll pick up jobs to weld and pipe fit in Colorado, and he'll ski for the entire winter. And then he'll go, well, I think I want to go to the mountains for the summer. And he does the same thing, right? But for him and his wife, they don't have any kids, but for him and his wife, that is the they don't own a home. They just travel the country. And he works when he needs to work, and he makes enough money working to support the lifestyle he wants. That's as much, and they're they are totally happy, right? Now, for a lot of people, it's like, well, that's terrible. I wouldn't want to live that way. But for him, that's the American dream, right? He has total freedom in what he does. So I think it's very important when you hear these stories, and and this is where Danny and I will converse here in just a second. I'll just read to you the headline from the story. The American dream costs $3.4 million to achieve over the course of a lifetime. Well, that depends on what you define as your American dream, right? It may be more than that. When you have a wife like, like mine, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> I'm joking. I love you, honey. Um, but for other people, it may not be. So I think you have to keep these things in perspective. And, and Danny does. Danny and I talk about this all the time. We have we have clients that come in, do financial planning. We've talked about this on the show, Danny. Is that there's some people come in and go, can I retire? And they have ten million dollars in the bank. And it's like, nope, you're not retiring because their lifestyle is so large that ten million dollars won't support it. You're, and I'm sure a lot of you are going, that's crazy, right? Yeah. We have other people that come in that have maybe a half a million dollars saved up in their retirement accounts in their bank, and they are completely set to retire because they have a very nominal lifestyle and they're happy. Or they right? have a pension. They have a number of different sure. things. And I mean, I've told people that, yeah, like you said, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Hey, you're great. You're in great shape. Very little debt. Mm -hmm. Don't spend a lot of money. Travel probably locally. And then you have some that, you know, with tens of millions of dollars that it, they just can't do it. And right. So everybody's, I think that's a really good point. And it also changes, I think, as we age too. You know, I think everybody has these grandiose ideas as we're young, right? right? Oh, we're going to go do this. Problem is most people won't go do it, right? They get stuck. You get stuck in the job. Oh, wait, I can't leave here. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yep. Guess what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't change for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Lance is a prime example. <laughs> So, but, you know, and then that's, that's a really good point that, you know, people's dreams and, and hopes and wishes are always different. What I find though, especially as we age is that we just want security. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, m- for the most part. I mean, everybody would like to be able to go afford and do whatever they want, but at the same token, I think to be able to live a, you know, a safe, secure, uh, a lifestyle with freedom, or or even a lifestyle where you know you have enough saved, where maybe you still want to work, you enjoy your job, you like the sense of purpose that it provides, but at the end of the day, you want to be able to to be able to say, go in and say, hey, take this job and shove it, mm-hmm. if that changes, right? And I think that's an enormous amount of freedom, right? And I, and I think you know, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, when you come down to what is the American dream is right, that it's just the function of having freedom, and again. That's achievable without having three point four million dollars, right, or whatever mm-hmm. the number is. Um, you know, if you can stay, you know, this is when we talk about, you know, keeping debt limits low, not getting yourself into a bunch of credit card debt. You know, saving, having good strong savings program, have a good a good a good earnings profile. You know, if you're not earning enough money, figure out ways to earn more money, right? There, that's that's not complicated to do. Um, but you just have to start taking actions. You know, we, we kind of laid out 10 rules um, the other day talking about this issue, about 10 steps to take. And that article is still on the website. If you go to real, if you didn't, if you missed that conversation, there's an article on the website talking about the American dream. It's on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. But we laid out 10 steps for achieving the American dream of whatever dream that is for you. And again, it's different for everybody. So. It's just yep. something to think about. But I, I thought this was interesting. You know, they say that, you know, $3.4 million to achieve over the course of lifetime, getting married, saving for retirement. And this is according to analysis from Investopedia. Meanwhile, the median lifetime earnings for the typical U.S. worker stand at $1.7 million. But, you know, and, and so the problem I have with that kind of analysis is that it just lumps everybody all together. Yeah, no, it does. You know, and, and we know for a fact that a lot of these numbers are heavily skewed by the top 10% of income earners. Correct. So the majority of people reading this will, will not be able to attain that regardless right. of the situation. And, you know, we talk about how you know so many people are underfunded, how many people rely on Social Security for either, you know, like a quarter of the people out there on Social Security rely on it for 90% of their retirement income. Right. Half the people rely on it for half of their retirement income. So we have a big problem with savings. And so most of these people, their dreams probably look a lot different from, from others, mm-hmm. right? They're just trying to trying to make ends meet. And that's unfortunate. But and that's where I think this article, like you said, I mean it's it's way off base because mm-hmm. you know, you look at look at the average of most of these things and you look at the median, those numbers are quite quite different. Right, exactly. And again, it is also defining and again, you know, what this article goes through and, and again, look, we all have excuses of why we can't do stuff, right? I can't get to the American dream because, you know, inflation's too high. My health care costs are too high. My this is too high. My that's too high. And and that eats up all my money. Yeah, I you know, those are all those are all valid reasons, but those are also the excuses that we lean on for not achieving something, right? Not going out and saying, Okay, I've got to do something to better myself. I've got to increase my education. I've got to get a second job. I've got to create something. You know, whatever it is, you know, yes, there's a lot of impediments. And this is and this is the point of the of the article that we wrote is that there's a ton of impediments to keep you from getting to where you want to be. And the difference between those who succeed and those who don't is the ones that hit those impediments and then quit. Right. And there's there's a lot. I mean, healthcare costs are high. No doubt about it. Right. What can you do about that? Take better care of yourself so you don't have to depend on those health care costs as much. You don't have big out-of-pocket expenses, those type of things. You know, you know, eat better, 
you know, take your vitamins, exercise, do those type of things. You can minimize some of these costs by taking actions to improve your own personal situation, whether it's better education, working a second job, creating a new, you know, creating something that people want, create, you know, going to find whatever it is, creating an elf on the shelf, <laughs> you know, that, that I works. I should have thought of that. Yeah, I know, right? Me too. Man. Um, but there's so many things that you can do. You just have to start doing it and, you know, taking those steps. And again, this article goes, this is, so I'll just read to you, read to you from this, you know, here's how much Investopedia estimates a family must spend to afford some of the hallmarks often associated with the American dream. Well, what are the hallmarks associated with the American dream? A house, right? As we said before, the house is not the American dream. The house is the symbol of achievement of the American dream. People that came to this country with two nickels in their pocket didn't buy a house. They they worked, they saved, they created something, and they built wealth, and then they bought property. They became property owners. They, they bought a house, and that was the symbol of the American dream. That's where it originally derived from. But we've now associated with it as saying, look, if you don't own a house, you don't have the American dream, and that's absolutely not the case. Going into debt to buy something is not the American dream. Hospital birth, average out-of-pocket cost for people with health care, $5,700. Um, I'm going I'm to read these to you, and I'm going to tell you why there's a solution for this. Wedding and engagement ring, $35,000. That's stupid. Uh, raising two children to 18 years old, I can vouch for this, $576,000. They are expensive, mm-hmm. right? No doubt about that. Ten car, ten car purchases over a lifetime, right? That's purchasing a car basically, I guess, every five years, Danny, roughly. So 271000 in cars. That number's probably light. They haven't seen these numbers or updated them since the pandemic. <laughs> One year of college costs for two kids, uh, $42,000. My kids pay for their own college. Average cost to buy a home, including lifetime mortgage payments, $796,000. Pets, $70,000. Health insurance from ages 26 to 65, $1 million, 934000 to be exact. Uh, retirement, 715000 Funeral costs, 7800 bucks. When we come back from the break, Danny and I are going to tell you how to defeat all of these. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, real quick before we uh, get into how to defeat this uh, high cost of living for the American dream. I uh, do. Uh, you've heard the commercial this morning, but I do encourage you go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a banner right at the top of the page for our upcoming summit on January the 27th, navigating the markets in a presidential election cycle. We're going to be talking about the economy, the markets next year. You know where uh, you know where money tends to go during pres- uh, presidential election years, etc. Talk about different outcomes. Greg Valliere, who is a kind of a um, a legend on Wall Street will be our keynote speaker. Um, he is he specializes in kind of this political uh, backdrop to markets and uh, the economics of it. And so, again, I encourage you if you if you want to come, we'd love to have you. Um, seating is very limited. We only have 150 seats at Hotel Sinesta here in Houston. It's the Galleria. 
uh, go by the website. It's a $99 ticket cost right now. That will go up once we get into January, closer to the event. So I encourage you, if you if you want to come, please come, but be sure and get signed up now. Save yourself some money. And uh, we'll see you on January the 27th. But we'll be talking about this a lot more between now and then. And, um, you know, but again, I think it's something that uh, you'll definitely want to be there for. Yeah, and this is this will be something that's not on the web either. So right. if you want to attend, you need to be here in Houston. Yep. You'll get to meet the team. Um, so be a good, good event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, due to a variety of copyright reasons, we cannot record and post this video. So it is only a live event. So if you want to come, you need to be there. Um, so just talking about, you know, the American dream, and I thought this was very interesting from this article talking about just going through what the average person spends according to the, to this, you know, a wedding and engagement ring, $35,000, you know, raising two kids, $600,000, you know, healthcare cost, um, you know, a million dollars basically. And, you know, the, the, and there's no doubt, I'm not arguing that these costs aren't valid, right? Those, those are, those are what people spend. You know, my daughter came to me the other day and we were just talking, my older daughter, and she's in college and she was just, uh, you know, talking about, you know, I can't wait, to, you know, when I'm, I get married, I have this idea for my wedding and it's going to be this, that and this thing. I said, I said, that's all on you. I said, your mom and I aren't paying for your wedding. I said, what I will do is when you get married, I will put a check in a savings account for you both for your retirement and it'll be invested for you. And that'll be there. That will be our, our present to you. But, you know, whatever you want to spend on your one-day party for your wedding is, that's on you. You're going to have to figure it out. But, you know, we've, you know, but this, you know, the idea of this engagement ring, the wedding ring, the, the big weddings, where does that come from? All comes off of, of, of media, people trying to sell you products. And so you've got to get past what other people think and start focusing about what's important for you. And what matters to you? And I was telling Danny on the break, I said, if I, if I brought home a $40,000 ring for my wife, she would shoot me in the head, right? She's like, yeah, what are you too. doing? This, this is a complete waste of money. You know, we need this money for other things. And, and so, you know, this is, uh, you know, and this is the book, The Millionaire Next Door, right? Um, if, you, if you need a book to kind of center yourself, go read the book, A Millionaire Next Door. And there's a lot of people that you will never know that has that have a, more than a million dollars in savings. They live in a frugal house. They drive a 10-year-old pickup truck with the bumper falling off the back of it, and they got tons of money. But they're happy, right? And we're talking about happiness. And look, if material things make you happy, there's nothing I can do to say to change your mind. You've got to figure that out, right? You need to make more money to have the material things that make you happy, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying there's anything wrong. But... When you look at some of these costs, you have to figure out, well, what can I do to defeat some of these things? Let's talk about health care. Health insurance is a, is a good example. Danny talks about the HSA all the time. Danny. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's so many different options that you have out there. You mentioned a lot of them on the last segment, really, that, you know, it's about taking care of yourself. Now, granted, there's going to be things that pop up that, you know, you just can't account for. And right. you may be Blown the healthiest knees. person in the world. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a prime example, Lance. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, but... You know, these are things that, that, that happen. And so to take more time to do preventative action, I think, is very helpful. Now, granted, we're still always going to have these costs, especially as we age. So where are you putting funds? How are you saving money? We talk about the hierarchy of savings frequently. We've talked a lot about the HSA, just talking about year-end planning. What should you be contributing to if you have the uh, ability to do so? Not everybody has the ability to contribute to a health savings account. But that's one way to put funds aside, not use them let those grow. Um, you know, that's just one thing. And, you know, you mentioned the amount of money you spend between 
26 and 65 was like nine hundred thirty-four thousand dollars, mm-hmm. but they never addressed the cost once you reach 65, which you know the average person's living what 78, 79 now, yep. and they estimate a couple at 65 is going to be three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars in healthcare expenses. And a lot of that has to do with poor diets, lack of exercise, poor health, you know, diabetes heart conditions, heart disease, you know, you name it. Well, I think, I think what it is is that they say you need this pill. Oh, wait, now you need yeah. this pill because of this side effect and you need this one. <laughs> Next thing you know, you turn around, you're like, wait a second, what am I all on? Exactly. But yeah, no, there, there's so many issues with that. But that is a, that's a really good one, Lance. And, and I, I like that, you know, look, the, the average cost to buy a home, including lifetime mortgage payments, $796,000, right? Okay, first of all, you can knock that down a lot. First of all, buying a house that's reasonable, in terms of instead of buying a five bedroom house, you buy something more moderate that you can live in to be happy with, but save up that 20% down payment. Don't do a 5% down payment with a 95% mortgage run at high interest rates. That doesn't make sense, right? Um, do the things to bring down your cost. Um, accelerate your mortgage payments over time. And again, you know, we, we didn't even talk about some of this other stuff. Just you know, just to offset like you know, just out of pocket costs. That's why you have to have an emergency savings fund. And then you know, we talked about this the other day when Danny uh, last Wednesday actually is talking about just kind of figuring out a budget. You know, fifty percent of your income right needs to fall within those required payments, right? That's your mortgage payment, that's your car payment, those, uh, you know, utility cost, all that needs to be within 50% of whatever you make. If it's outside of that, you need to either increase the income or change the purchases, right? So that you can stay within that 50, 20% goes to, you know, the, the other things in life, the, you know, trying to, you know, just have fun, do the things with your family, take care of the kids, you know, whatever that needs to be in the 20% bracket, 30% of all that needs to be going into savings, your emergency savings, your retirement savings, those type of things. And that's not, that's not a hard set rule, right? People have different numbers of that. But if you fall within some type of that structure, you're more likely going to have the ability to have the cash flow to save and invest and offset some of these costs later on in life. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, you mentioned a couple of things like the wedding or engagement rings. Yeah. I think the majority of the time that's emotional. It's emotionally driven. Sure. And those industries have been great yeah, at making must- us believe that we have to have these things. You mentioned the, the real estate industry, yeah. but shoot, look at funerals, you know, babies oh, my, my, being I, born. I was going to tell you, my wife is going to get a very big diamond ring. Okay. Yeah. Because when I die, they have a new service where they can take your ashes and they compress it. And they make a diamond out of it. So, babe, the big diamond's coming. You, you may not want to tell her that. I mean, it may come sooner now, Lance. <laughs> exactly. That's okay. We're, we're more dead than alive. That. I, I, may need prote- I may need personal protection detail. That's right. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, putting these things in perspective is so important. I, I remember when we had our firstborn. We went to go shop for baby furniture. And, I mean, cribs were like two and $3,000. I mean, things mm-hmm. were just so expensive. And I thought, finally, I, I looked at my wife and I said, listen, is do you remember your crib when you were born? She's like, no. I was like, neither do I. Yeah. So is this for us to have a fancy or a nice room, or is this for the baby to keep the baby safe and healthy? <laughs> you know what? And, you so know, do you know what my two my two kids grew up on? No. We took a. I may not want to know here. No, no, no. We didn't have cribs. We had a, we took a a easy. single like those you know the mattresses that go in the cribs those little b cribs yeah we set it flat on the floor so if they rolled off you know if they rolled off the mattress it was yeah. a, a one inch fall right but that was their crib right we didn't have we didn't pay for cribs we didn't do all that other type of stuff it was just 
We set them on the. I'm impressed we had. I thought you were going to tell me like the yellow page phone book or something. You know, you no, just no, put no, a bunch no. of them we together. Just, we we just we just put everything down on the floor and they're they were just, and, and and to your point, I, I brought this up today. I was like, yeah, when you were growing up, you just slept on the floor basically, and they have no idea. They can't remember. Yeah, they don't know unless so. you showed them a picture. Exactly. But but that's the problem with these things. Even funerals. Funerals. I'm always you know they say seventy eight hundred dollars. I think it's probably more than that. Just talking and seeing this on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Because people get emotional. Oh no, they can't have this box. They have to have this. You know, they have to have a weatherproofed, waterproof hole in the ground. Yeah, no. you're gone. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> like I don't care what you do with me. I mean, I'm not here. Th- wrap me up in a towel. Throw me in the dirt. Let the bugs have me. It's fine. Yeah. No, but but that's the problem. I think that we we get um, emotionally driven by a lot of these types of decisions. Yeah. That therefore they create bad habits too. It's like. My father, when I was young, said, listen, don't ever go buy a fancy car. I said, okay, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, because once you do, you're never going to want to go back mm-hmm. to you know, being more reasonable. You're always going to want a newer car, and, and you, you do see these types of things. Right. And not that any of these things, there's anything wrong with them. But we're talking about accumulating wealth. It's just like getting healthy, you know, eating proper. It doesn't mean you need to be on some huge, enormous diet. You can still go out and, and, and splurge here and there, but it needs to be good habits done little by little over a long period of time. Yep. And that's a problem that I think most people forget. Well, it's just like Keith Klein used to, we used to have him on the show to talk about, you know, being healthy and doing those type of things. He had a very simple saying, which is it works great for money too, which is have better bad habits. In other words, it's okay to go out and eat a burger, right? Yeah. Just maybe eat the burger without mayonnaise, you know, I'm just, or without cheese. Maybe you don't need all the fries. Or- yeah, yeah, something. Just make better bad choices. And that's the same thing in life with saving money and preparing for retirement. You, you, you know, we not we need to live. We need to be happy, right? We need to do some things. Just make better bad choices financially, and it'll be okay. Yep. So, all right, Danny, thank you so much. Thank be you. sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get signed up for our upcoming summit on January the 27th with Greg Valliere on navigating the markets in a presidential cycle. Uh, again, it'll be a great opportunity. Myself. Michael Leibowitz will be there. Adam Taggart's coming in. Um, So we'll be having a panel discussion as well, as well as some other presentations. We're going to feed you breakfast and lunch. It'll be a great time. Uh, We'll see you on January 27th, but get by the website. Tickets are going fast, so don't wait. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow for the Fed Day speech update with Michael Leibowitz. Talk to you then.